Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm very happy to have you here with me today. Um, this podcast endeavors to explore a full-spectrum spirituality, and I try to f- use the practices of yoga, specifically yin yoga and meditation, as a way of exploring the spiritual path, journey, and development. And this episode is marks the beginning of a series of episodes I'll be giving on what I'll be referring to as basic Vipassana instructions. So I want to give a little context around what is, what are, what is Vipassana and then what are basic instructions for Vipassana. So the, the first order of business is to define Vipassana, which is to, to recognize it as a form or an emphasis in meditation found in Buddhism that endeavors to see experience clearly. So Vipassana often translates just as that, to see things clearly. And the kind of the operative assumption within that is that our normal way of perceiving things is distorted. So uh, from a distorted perception, we, we practice in a particular way to help clear the lens of perception to see things more accurately, more clearly, or to see them through a particular lens of perception, which I'll be calling the Vipassana lens. Now, I mentioned Vipassana is a kind of an approach or an orientation to looking at experience. Um, But I want to be very clear that there's no one one way or one precise, perfect way of doing or practicing Vipassana. Um, Throughout Southeast Asia, where uh, Theravada Buddhism has flourished, and and Theravada Buddhism is the, the tradition within which Vipassana is found, um, throughout that tradition, you see multiple techniques, multiple ways of doing Vipassana. And sometimes, like in a country like Myanmar, there's actually quite an amount of strong partisan divide and partisan argumentation around what's the correct way to do it. So for myself, um, I don't hold this, uh, any approach dogmatically. I don't uh, find dog- dogmatism helpful very much. Um, and so I, I really try to take a pragmatic approach to it where I try to set up what the main intention is and then provide students, in this case you, the listener, I try to provide you with different ways of exploring the intention of a pasana. Much like if you're doing a pose or like a, an asana, physical yoga pose, we try to identify the intention of the pose and then give the student a variety of options for how they might achieve the intention. And so this Vipassana series I'll be giving will be just that, you know, stating the main intention and then providing you with different tools slash meditative exercises to practice to see what uh, facilitates uh, aligning your awareness within the intention of Vipassana itself. So I know there may be purists out there uh, who will hear what I'm saying and thinking I think I'm offering some bastardized dilution of instruction. Um, but from my perspective, what I'm doing is uh, primarily trying to merge or marry emphasis that I found in Burma or Myanmar, where I practiced with Saida Upandita, and blend the approaches that I learned there with the stylistic emphasis that I received from teachers from Thailand, which tends to be, have a much softer, gentler approach. 
So to use yin and yang theory, uh, you could say I'm trying to blend or integrate the yang and the yin of vipassana. The yang tends to be more of a Burmese uh, active uh, approach, and the yin is a more relaxed, receptive approach that I've experienced from the Thai teachers. But together, and learning to, to really work with both elements or both sides of the practice, I hope that um, you'll find your way within the general intention and really start to both uh, receive the benefits or, or receive the fruit of practice, which is a, a taste and a, an eventual abiding in a much more stable quality of stillness and peace. Okay, so before I give you today's talk, I just want to say that um, if you're interested in practicing with Terry and me in, in an ongoing way, coming to our live online classes each week, or uh, practicing with us through the recordings of our classes in our, our, in our library on our site, you can do that by joining the Riverbird Sangha. And you could think of this as like a live app for your own spiritual practice, where we combine the practices of meditation, yin yoga, qigong, and yang yoga, a sort of integral life practice where we develop uh, awareness and insight around the body, our energy, our psycho-emotional being, and ultimately awake, we become awake to our awareness level of being, awake awareness itself. And sort of our conviction is that by combining these practices in a low-key, non-obsessive way, uh, and practicing within the conditions of daily life, that they all these practices together really support a a a gentle transformation of our being. And we could say that transformation trends towards greater gentleness, greater compassion, and greater wisdom. So uh, we, we've recently updated the membership uh, sort of options for membership or for joining our Sangha. And um, we now offer a range of subscription levels from $5 a month to $99 a month, depending on what works for your budget. So we're hoping that uh, this, this sliding scale makes uh, these teachings available to you if you're interested. And I just want to say that, you know, if you're in podcast land as a listener, you know, A, I really appreciate your, your attention and your listenership. Um, but recently, the, the newer members that have been showing up in the Sangha that have been joining, when we asked them, how did you find out about coming, they, they, they tend to report that it's through the podcast. They've been listening to the podcast for a while, and then they took this next step to join and, um, and are really appreciating being part of the community or the, 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 the kind of loose network of practitioners that are, are joined together here. Um, so if that sounds like you, someone who's been listening for a while, and maybe someone who's looking for or wanting a little bit more support in an ongoing way, um, access to consistent teachings and, and perspective and, and dialogue around that, to, to be engaged with others in, in wrestling with and working with the very human things that we all face. Um, we encourage you to join. Um, this is a, a low-key group. Uh, there's nothing too much asked of you other than to show up with sincerity and, um, and see where the practice leads. So you can join the Sangha by going to joshsummers.net forward slash Sangha. All the information there is around what includes your membership, our access to the library, etc. Um, and the other, the other way to support the show or the work here is to consider maybe taking a workshop or a class or a course or a training with us. And we have a revamped, uh, reorganized shop page on my site, a much cleaner 
page. It's at joshsummers.net forward slash shop, where you can uh, see the the recordings and of workshops that I've given on how yin yoga harmonizes our chi. And there's a, a lot of uh, two-hour workshops there that you can avail yourself of. We have online courses that are seven to ten hours about the basics of and the theory of teaching yin yoga and Chinese medicine and meditation. And we also have an on-demand course in yin yoga itself, so a 50-hour training in yin yoga if you're interested in a certification to teach. So all of that, if that sounds at all appealing to you, check it out at joshsummers.net forward slash shop. Okay, now for today's talk, Basic Vipassana Instructions, Part 1. Okay, so for today's talk, I want to quickly recap some of the essential themes of the previous talks I've given about stillness, because it's through an appreciation of stillness, through a recognition of a stillness already here, that I think the activity of observing what's occurring within stillness, the, occur the, the activity of our experience, which we look at and really showcase in Vipassana, that this looking, this clear seeing develops from a foundation of stillness. And this is this is the way it's often taught anyway, that there's a development from what's referred to as shamatha meditation or calm abiding or tranquility meditation. One develops tranquility in their practice first before opening up the mind to look closely at everything that's occurring, which is the Vipassana side. But really, I don't see any real hard line of difference between shamatha and vipassana because the more the calmer we find ourselves then it just follows and flows naturally that we start to see things more clearly just like a a body of water like a pond or a lake when the when the surface of the water becomes calm and still it becomes more reflective. It's able to hold and reflect more around it. In the same way with our mind, the, the quieter, the calmer, the, the more relaxed our minds become, the easier it is to see clearly. So the, the previous talks I've given on stillness uh, try to emphasize two things. One is that the, the stillness is not about stillness of content. And that's a really important thing to remember, that we're not, in our practice, we're not trying to get the thoughts to be still. We're not trying to have our feelings be stable or still. We're not trying to get the environment to be still or our body to be still. All of those would be kinds of stillness that relate to the conditions or the experiences we're having. The real stillness that I think the, the Buddhist teaching is pointing to is a stillness that's here that is more analogous to the container of presence. So the presence we have that's aware and awake to the movement of body, sound, sensation, thought. That's the stillness that we recognize and relax into. So this is a stillness we don't create, we don't shape it, we don't even do something to, we, we do nothing to bring it about other than to relax and recognize it. So uh, the, the second point around that is then that if, it's, if the stillness is already here, as countless teachers have pointed to over the, the centuries and millennia, then 
the already here-ness of its presence will influence our approach to the meditation in terms of how we come to recognize it. Um, and the, the, the point I tried to make in the last talk is that if we think of it as something we have to create, or we have to do something to get somewhere to realize it, it's that, that, that effort of doing and, and seeking that actually obviates or prevents us from ever recognizing it. So it's like, you know, again, the, the metaphor of the, the person in a motorboat on the pond, motoring around looking for the calm water. At a certain point, the person realizes that it's the motoring itself that obviates the recognition or the, rec the, the uncovering of stillness in the water or the, the allowing of the water to settle. So uh, this, this is just a review on the kind of effort I want to encourage when you come to your practice, even when we go into Vipassana, um, when we emphasize the clear seeing in our experience. Uh, so as minimal effort as possible, just to really the effort of relaxing and, and becoming receptive, that's as much effort as required in this whole process. And as I cover in the instructions of yin meditation and um, kind of transitioning from yin to yang meditation, and that, that transition primarily signals uh, really a, a generalized receptivity, which is yin, and the specific things we can try to do when we're awake, which is the yang. So in the yang side of our experience, when the mind is awake, that's where we have the, t the, the wherewithal and the agency to explore operating with particular intentions or directing our attention in a particular way where we can do something specific. But both, both approaches uh, recognize that part of the time in our meditation, our mind will wander. The yin meditation approach tends to, it really tries to depathologize or decriminalize mind wandering, just to recognize this is a normal activity of the mind, it's not a problem to allow it to go on, don't try to stop it. And in this way, what the practitioner is doing is establishing a very benign gentleness to be with what is. So the what is in, the, in that frame includes the wandering and the waking. And it allows the practitioner also notice how the mind's presence comes online naturally by itself meaning the meditator doesn't have to prompt themselves to be present. I think it's, it's very interesting for a practitioner to explore how presence becomes awake naturally. And this is what I'll be referring to as the wake, the awake phase of the experience. So when you were meditating, the mind will be wandering at times and the mind will be awake. The instructions I'll be giving here now are really geared towards what we can begin to notice and do, quote-unquote do, I'm, I'm using that word very lightly, what we can do when we are awake. And this is what I think Vipassana tries to do. When I, when I interviewed Joseph Goldstein years ago, he said he defined Vipassana as simply being aware of moment-to-moment -moment experience without grasping. Being aware of what's occurring moment-to-moment -moment without grasping. That's the essence of Vipassana. So we can only do this when we're awake. Now, many styles of Vipassana, I would say that all the formal styles I've ever uh, encountered, encourage the meditator to be as awake as possible from the beginning. 
And uh, my two cents on that is that that effort, that intention, tends to get people to overstrive. They're, they're, they're putting too much energy in the attempt to be present, and that paradoxically tightens them up and stresses them out. So that's why yin meditation is, uh, as Chogam Trungpa might say, is an approximation of doing nothing. It's, it's the, the most benign way I can articulate how to begin practicing moving in the direction of doing less and less in your practice. Now, in a, in a typical articulation of Vipassana, the instructions might tell you to focus on, say, your body or your breath to begin with, and then from focusing and anchoring your attention on the body and breath, you then will be included to gradually open up your mind to include more and more of the totality of your experience. So you'll include uh, mental events or mental objects like feelings and thoughts and memories, as well as uh, the field of environmental stimulus, namely sounds. So th there's usually a progression from the body out to open up. And uh, just to play with the progression, rather than going that way, starting with body and then opening up, I'm going to suggest um, a different approach, which is to start wide, start very open and panoramically, uh, particularly with a field of sounds, which I'll emphasize today. And then over the series of these lessons, we will uh, wake into the body and mind, meaning we'll take the awake presence we bring to sound and slowly include more particulars about ourself. And again, the reason for this particular progression is that, and as I'll say with sound, is that uh, most people, when they focus on the body, tend to get tight. It's like they, they think when they're present to their body, they're doing good meditation. When they're not present to their body, they're somehow doing bad meditation. And that's the, the binary I'm trying to erase in a way. It's just to recognize, again, that the practice is to be open to all experience, body, mind, and environment, um, but when the beginning, when the practice begins with, with discussion of body, it tends to create a divide, a divide between good and bad practice. So the progression I'll be giving is an inversion of the normal progression, but I hope that it, uh, it leads one into the, the, the intended uh, outcome or the intended understanding of the progression more easily. So the way this will work in actual practice, and this is, these are the instructions now, <clears throat> is that in the phases of your meditation experience, so when you're sitting down and practicing, when your mind is awake, when you, when you sense the mind become conscious and awake to what's occurring, this is where you can include the intention of looking or paying attention in a particular way. Again, you can't do that when the mind is wandering, so we don't worry about those phases. We just let them be and have no conflict with them. But when, you mind, when your mind wakes up, the, I try to recommend the first thing to do is just to make sure you're relaxed. So take a few moments and, and really relax your body and mind again, releasing any um, agenda, or releasing any uh, attempt to try to get into something specific, but to really come to a, a felt presence of what is or what it's like to be you in that moment. And then from that relaxation, I want to encourage you to open your awareness widely just to attune or listen to the sounds in your environment. And the reason why uh, I've appreciated listening to sounds as a way to begin the Vipassana journey is that listening 
really reduces the tendency to overstrive. So if you think about listening to music or listening to just sounds in nature, in both cases, you're not involved in generating or creating the sounds, and you can really let the mind itself relax and allow natural awareness to register or pick up the experience of sound spontaneously. So without the sense of an ego or a meditator trying to get it right, you allow the process of listening to simply be known. Uh, and so the one of the metaphors or analogies that I, I re received a lot of benefit from what I'm going to pass on here is from a teacher at the Insight Meditation Society named Winnie Nazarko. And in one group interview I had with her, she compared <clears throat> the, the quality of our attention meeting experience to the the fine needle of a record player's stylus resting on the grooves of a vinyl record. And it, it, so she's in that metaphor, she's or analogy, she's she's um, conveying the lightness of touch. You know, if the if the record needle is too forcefully pressing on to the record, it won't pick up the information of the of the music on the record. If there's no contact, it won't pick up what's there. So it's a very light touch, really um, maybe defined by a sense of gliding with the experience. And that's the quality I want to encourage you to develop or to, uh, to really engender in your practice, a sense of awareness gliding along with the unfolding, changing contours of your moment-to-moment -moment experience. Now, eventually, we'll include the body and mind in that Kind of landscape or the contours of our inner landscape that we attend to. But to, to really get a sense of the lightness, meaning the lightness of our attention, the, the, the benign lightness of our awareness, to get a sense of that, I think there's no better domain of experience to learn that lightness with than through the, the domain of listening to sounds. So in yin meditation, I try to compare the mind's awareness to a bird, in that and it's a, a wild bird. And the word bird is free to fly and explore whatever it would like to explore, but it's also free to take a rest and come to rest on a particular perch or a ledge. So in the meditation, your, your awareness is free to be open and explorative of what's occurring, but from time to time, if you need to take a rest or take a break or seek safety, you know, playing your mental psycho-emotional edge or your physical edge, if you need safety, let your awareness be redirected back to a, a stable, safe perch, whether it's your hands on your lap, your sense of your body sitting, or the field of sound itself. But as you sit and as you relax, in the moments that you are awake, I'd like you to try a particular technique that I'm borrowing and adapting from the Burmese approach to meditation. And this technique is the technique of mental noting or labeling. <clears throat> and it was developed by a Burmese monk named Sa uh, Mahasi Sayadaw. Uh, Sayadaw just means teacher. Mahasi was his monastic name. And he was a great innovator and reformer in uh, late 19th century, early 20th century Myanmar. Um, and his technique was, was really simple. The technique was one to just simply make a soft, silent, mental note tagging whatever experience you're aware of moment to moment. So if you heard a sound, you would note hearing. 
If you felt a pressure in your body, you would note pressure. If you felt an itch, you would note itching. If you felt the breath moving, you would note breathing or rising with the belly, falling with the belly. If you thought, if you became aware of thinking, you would note thinking. Uh, now, on one level, this this is a, can seem like a kind of curiously simple, if not simplistic practice um, that doesn't really, on the face of it, announce how it will take one from delusion or perceptual distortion to clarity and, and wisdom. But the, the thing I'd want to emphasize now, and I'll say more about this as, we, as these lessons unfold, is that you know, most of the time when we're hearing, when we're seeing, when we're sensing something in the body, we get very absorbed in the narrative or, we, or, or we're just lost in our conceptualization about what's happening. And the conceptualization that we're lost in may not have nothing to do with the, the, the sensory or the sensory motor reality that we're in. So the practice really wakes us up. When we're noting what's occurring, it's, it's sort of a way of maintaining a foothold of presence in real events as they unfold. And in conjunction with that, uh, in addition to becoming more and more awake and sensitive to real events as they're occurring, the practice also uh, does functions in a, in a secondary way, which is, and you could even say this is a primary way, but we wake up to what's occurring and we eventually then also become awake and aware to the presence that knows what's occurring. So there's two sides of the ledger, two sides of the equation, if you will. There's the content, there's the content of what's occurring that we become aware of and the noting practice can help uh, connect us to the immediacy of just what's happening moment by moment. And in doing that, we create the conditions whereby we can start to recognize the, the, the stillness of presence in relationship to what's occurring. And, and eventually we don't really, really necessarily have a, a, a sharp sense of that stillness. But as the mind becomes more and more relaxed and stabilized within noticing sensory experiences, that is sounds, sensations, thoughts, etc. The intrinsic stillness of presence that knows those changing occurrences becomes more, much more obvious and more um, intimately known. So the noting technique can be very, very helpful. But as I also experienced in doing it intensely for, for years and on retreats myself, the noting technique can tend to also in, engender or inculcate a kind of striving in the practitioner. And sometimes the teachers even encourage this. So for example, Upandita, when I worked with him on retreat, kept telling me, you can't try hard enough, Yogi, try harder, try harder. So I would sit down on my cushion and, and, and note in a kind of hyperdrive, frenetic way, rising, falling, thinking, hearing, rising, falling, thinking, hearing, thinking, thinking, aching, aching, aversion, dislike, calm, thinking, hearing, aching. And uh, that's just a sample of what my mind was like for a while. Um, but practicing that way can really tighten someone up. So I've tried to combine this Mahasi approach with the softness that I've appreciated from the emphasis in the Thai tradition, or the Thai forest tradition. 
So if I were to put these two together as a simple meditative exercise or a meditative etude, it would look like this or sound like this. In the phases of your practice, when your mind becomes awake and present to being here, like knowing what you're doing, that you're sitting and you're awake to that. At that phase, once you've relaxed, then just turn and open your attention to the field of sound. And from time to time, as a way of, sort of making explicit the fact that hearing is occurring, that there's a sound and that there's an awareness that knows the sound, you could use this labeling uh, uh, phrase, which is to say, hearing, hearing, sounds are being known. So that's, that's the sort of the mantra of this little meditation exercise or meditative etude. You don't, I would not recommend doing it all the time, and I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that in a second, but from time to time, as your mind wakes up and you turn to listen to sounds in your environment, when you hear a sound, simply make a, a little note or a, a, an observation, hearing, hearing, sounds are being known. And, and then just let your awareness from that recognition that sounds are being known, then let your awareness glide like the stylus of the needle on a record. Let your, the, the stylus of your awareness glide with the changing, unfolding, spontaneous appearance of sounds. And that's it. Your mind will likely wander at some point, not a problem. Uh, at some point, if you need to come back to the perch, that's fine. But in the moments when your mind comes online and wakes up and you know that you're here again, then just turn that into an exercise of simply listening, listening to sounds arise and cease as they occur naturally. And just let your awareness spontaneously know those sounds. So again, I'm not encouraging you to do this noting technique all the time. It's more particularly in the moments when you wake up, when, you, when your mind emerges from having wandered relax, and then use the noting there just to stabilize or orient your awareness to what's occurring. In this case, we're orienting to the field of sounds. So just like a, a frame on a painting, a frame around a painting, highlights the painting itself, uh, guiding awareness to look at the painting, like focus in on the content of the painting, the, the labeling is meant to function like a perceptual frame to guide your attention to really come as close to and become as intimate with the, the sounds that are occurring. And, and as I said, eventually we will open to include the whole range and gamut of sensations in the body, as well as the whole range of mental experiences that uh, we tend to identify with. But as a, a transition now into the Vipassana mode of practicing, I think, uh, a, the most important thing is to not overstrive. So I'm trying to ease us into this, this, this approach of practice with as little striving as possible. So we're starting with listening because I think for many that provides the most relaxed domain of, of giving attention, that we just relax and listen to sounds. And when we label, use the particular frame or phrase that I'm using, hearing, hearing, sounds are being known, we also, that the last part is being known references the awareness or the presence that's arising or, or meeting or holding 
the experience of sound. And learning to recognize the pre our presence that is awake to sounds um, will be transposed to the presence that we start to remember and, and, and abide within when we become awake to sensations and thoughts. Um, but I think it's really helpful to develop that first within the field of sounds. So this week, um, and, and you can use this as long as you like, but for a good while, I really encourage you to practice with just this much. Take this as an exercise. Sit down once or twice a day for 10 minutes or have a maybe a 30 minute sitting and uh, relax. Just be with your ordinary experience, listen to sounds, and particularly when you wake up from wandering, relax again and try the simple tool, hearing, hearing, sounds are being known. And then from having used the tool of labeling, hearing, hearing, sounds are being known, that's the tool, using the tool, then put it down and let your mind spontaneously glide with recognition in kind of a panoramic specificity. The mind is wide open, panoramically open, but within that panorama, the, the attention is quite sensitive to the specific sounds that blink in and blink out of your consciousness. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope today's reflections help support and develop your practice. And, and one of the things I just want to say before I leave you here today is that I know the instructions I gave might seem really simple or more beginner level or not really where you're at. Um, but my view is that uh, it's like a little bit like the, the wax on, wax off thing in The Karate Kid. This, these basic instructions are, in, are really essential to getting down well so that the more sort of subtle or complex forms of instructions unfold more easily. So uh, we can't bypass the basics. And I really encourage you just to, to practice with just this much for this week or next. And in future sessions, I will be expanding to include more and more of the totality of experience. So next week, there will be, uh, we'll be applying these instructions to the body. How do we bring moment-to-moment -moment presence to the body? And then from there, we'll be bringing moment-to-moment -moment presence to our minds, which is where the, some of the big insights often start to occur. Uh, but to get to the mind, which is very subtle, it's helpful to start with the very obvious. And sounds, I think, really are kind of the easiest entree into this process. So practice well, and I look forward to connecting with you in the next lesson or next uh, episode. Again, before I go, uh, if you're interested in practicing with us, if you uh, would like some more ongoing support and a sense of community and a sense of um, not being so alone in your practice, please consider joining our virtual Riverbird Sangha, where we have four weekly classes a week, plus a whole library with hundreds of classes recorded and archived, including workshops and tutorials. Um, you can find more about that at joshsummers.net forward slash sangha. Okay, until next episode, stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Take good care.